All right. Well, God has arranged things pretty remarkably for us in terms of certain issues lately. So we had our VBS, and then on the very uh, all it was all about the sanctity of life and the importance of that. And we had such a great time teaching seventy-something kids here with that. And and then on Friday, the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade, the, the of VBS week, and we were so excited about that. And it just so happens that um, since I knew I was going to be gone all this week and uh, didn't want to prepare a whole sermon in a car on the way home from Albuquerque, uh, uh, I asked a guest speaker to come, and Samuel Green's with us this morning. And th this was also not planned with regard. The Supreme Court just was accommodating us, I think. They were just, <laughs> so it's... Um, Samuel's the uh, president of Reasons for Life, and he's a, a lawyer. He works for Alliance Defending Freedom, which is a, a group I support. They protect uh, civil rights, especially religious rights in different settings, schools and employment, things like that. So anyway, he's got an amazing legal background, but he's always had a passion for the pro-life cause. So let's welcome him this morning. It is so good to be with you all, and thank you, Pastor Wayne, for that kind introduction. Um, I, w I would say, you know, you all have the blessing of hearing Pastor Wayne preach and go verse by verse through the scripture. And today things are going to be a little bit different. I'm going to be jumping through a lot of passages, a more of a topical sermon. I'll probably be going too fast for you to keep up in your own Bibles. So I apologize for that, but I hope you'll uh, bear with me. But before we dive in, uh, if you could all just join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we have the breath of life in us that you have provided. And Lord, we ask that your spirit would be here in us, working in our hearts. Lord, that you would prepare us for the individual message that you have for each one of us, and that you would help us to respond to it and go forth in light of your word to be witnesses to the truth in our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Jesus said in Matthew 5 that we are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And if we are to do that effectively, it's important for us to understand the Lord's teachings about how he wants us to live and what he wants the world to look like so we can be witnesses to that. So uh, today, as Pastor Wayne hinted, uh, we are going to be looking at a topic where there is terrible confusion in society and much need for us as the body of Christ to be salt and light. And that topic is the value of children in the womb and the need to protect them from abortion. My, my hope and prayer is that we will all leave here today with a deeper understanding of God's heart for unborn children and a greater passion to share that truth in a loving and impactful way with others. Now, for some, simply hearing the word abortion stirs up feelings of terrible guilt and shame. And so before we go any further, I wanna make something perfectly clear. This message is intended to equip and to encourage you, not to condemn you. Today, we are going to see that abortion is a sin. And as Romans 3.23 tells us, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And statistics suggest that the sin of abortion has probably impacted multiple people in this room in a very personal way. 
Some may have had an abortion themselves or pushed or even coerced others to have an abortion. And so if that is you and you have turned to God for forgiveness, then I want you to know that he has forgiven you. And if you've not yet sought forgiveness, why not make today the day? We serve a God who stands ready to forgive. As 1 John 1, 9 assures us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. Yes, he will cleanse us and he'll make us clean. Now, that can be easy to forget. Our adversary, the devil, he wants our past sins, whatever they may be, to cripple us and prevent us from doing what God has called us to do, even after we have sought forgiveness. He wants us to feel useless and unworthy because of those past mistakes. But once God forgives, he does not dwell on our sin any longer. Indeed, as we read in Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So I just want to encourage you all today to accept God's amazing grace, to put the sins and shame behind you, and to go forth to do all the wonderful things that God created us to do. Amen? Now, to understand why abortion is such a terrible tragedy from a biblical perspective, I want to start by briefly establishing that human life is uniquely precious. Genesis 1.27 says that God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So think about that for just a moment. Every human is created in the image of God by God. And that is the source of our human dignity. The world may try to tell us that it's financial status or beauty or physical or intellectual ability or skin color or some other characteristic, but it is because we are created in God's image by God that we have our value. And because of that, the crime of murder is such a serious crime. Genesis 9-6 makes this connection plain, saying, whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed, for in the image of God has God made mankind. So killing a human is a destruction of one that God himself made in his very own image, and that killing grieves the Lord. We all know that murdering a human is a violation of one of the Ten Commandments, and that humans are created in the image of God, and they're precious in his sight. So when it comes to the issue of abortion, we ought to ask ourselves this question. Are unborn children humans? Because if they are, then we know that they deserve protection. And fortunately for us, the Bible answers that question. It makes clear that children in the womb are indeed humans, just like each one of us here today, and that they are precious in God's eyes. So I want to now consider a few passages from the Bible that demonstrate those truths. One is found in the first chapter of Luke, which 
you probably all read at least annually around Christmas time. And in Luke 1, we read about how Mary is greeted by the angel Gabriel and told that she will bear a son. And so then Mary, while pregnant with Jesus, goes with haste to visit her relative Elizabeth, who at that time was pregnant with John the Baptist. So we're about to have a meeting of four people, two women and the two baby boys that they are carrying inside them. And something amazing happens. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, Luke 1 verse 44 tells us that John the Baptist, quote, leaped for joy in Elizabeth's womb. So the unborn John the Baptist, probably recognizing the presence of his unborn savior, the one he would later preach about in the wilderness, leaps for joy while still in the womb. Now, there are some out there who argue that a pregnant woman's womb contains nothing more than a meaningless mass of cells. But do meaningless masses of cells experience the emotion of joy and leap as a result? Of course not. But children, well, they leap for joy. And John leaped for joy because he was fully human even there in the womb. In fact, not only did John leap for joy in the womb, but in Luke 1 verse 15, the angel Gabriel told John's father that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. That means that God made an unborn child a temple of the Holy Spirit. So if we know that God cared enough about a child in the womb to give him the gift of the Holy Spirit before he even drew his first breath, we cannot view unborn children as disposable blobs of cells, as some suggest. Now let's turn to some other examples about how God views children in the womb and their humanity. I hope you all remember the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Kind of rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Well, the last on that list, Jacob, was a twin. And he and his brother Esau, well, they did not always get along too well, to put it mildly. You may recall that Jacob deceived his father to steal Esau's blessing, so Esau decided he would try to kill Jacob. So some serious issues going on there. Uh, but the tension between these brothers actually began before they were born. In Genesis chapter 25, verses 22 and 23, we learn that Jacob and Esau, quote, struggled together while they were still in the womb. And apparently the tumult was so great that their mother, Rebecca, went to inquire of the Lord about what was happening within her. And the Lord explained to her, two nations are in your womb. Well, as we reflect on this passage, we should realize that if Jacob and Esau were not living people in the womb, then we would not see their intense sibling rivalry begin there. We would not see them struggling with one another even then. Now for our final example in this iteration here, I want to go to Samson. Do you all remember Samson, the supernaturally strong man with long hair who 
killed a lion with his bare hands and slew a thousand Philistines with a donkey's jawbone? I see some nodding. I'm glad, glad some of you remember. Well, Samson was a Nazarite. He was a person who was consecrated to God who had to observe certain special rules, certain dietary restrictions, and a prohibition on haircutting, hence his very long hair. But do you all know when Samson became a Nazarite? It was actually while he was an unborn baby. Indeed, Judges chapter 13, verses 3 through 7 tells us that the angel of the Lord came to Samson's mother to tell her that she was going to have a child. And the angel of the Lord tells her not to eat or drink certain things while pregnant because Samson was to be, quote, a Nazarite of God from the womb. So you've probably all heard the mantra, especially in the last few weeks, my body, my choice, that some use to try to justify abortion. Well, here, the Bible is making very clear that when a woman is pregnant with one child, two bodies are involved, the body of the mother and the body of the baby. So when a woman has an abortion, she's not just making a decision about her body, she is making a decision that ends the life of her child. You know, God did not call Samson's mother to be a Nazarite, but she needed to observe the dietary restrictions of a Nazarite while she was pregnant so that the son she carried could follow the vows of the Nazarite while he was still an unborn baby. That mattered to God because Samson was the same person in the womb that he was outside the womb. There was nothing about birth that transformed him in the eyes of God. No, he was a human precious to God. In fact, he was Samson the Nazarite consecrated to God, both in the womb and outside the womb. So let's recap what we've covered real quick. We have John the Baptist being filled with the Holy Spirit and leaping for joy. We have Jacob and Esau beginning their struggle with one another in the womb. And we have Samson observing the vows of a Nazarite with his mother's cooperation while still in the womb. This is powerful biblical evidence that unborn children are in fact human beings and that God values them just as he values those who are walking and talking. Now as Christians, what the Bible teaches us about unborn life should be sufficient for us to view abortion as a grave evil, as the intentional killing of innocent human beings who are made in the image of God and of infinite worth. But since God is the creator of this beautiful world that we live in, it should be no surprise when science, our study of the world, confirms the truth of God's teachings. And science confirms that unborn babies are indeed human beings. Dr. Jerome Lejeune was an accomplished geneticist. In fact, he is the one who discovered the chromosome composition that causes Down syndrome. And Dr. Lejeune once said that life has a very long history, but each of us has a very definite beginning, the moment of conception. As author Francis Beckwith put it, an unborn baby's genetic, genetic makeup is established at conception, 
determining to a great extent her own individual physical characteristics. Gender, eye color, bone structure, hair color, skin color, susceptibility to certain diseases, and so on. All of that established right there at the moment of conception when a new human being comes into existence with its own DNA that has never existed before and will never exist again. Now after conception, the new human grows at a rapid rate. Dr. Lejeune explained that just a month after conception, the tiny heart has already been beating for a week and the arms, legs, head, and brain have already begun to take shape. At two months, the child is virtually complete with hands, feet, head, internal organs, brain, everything in place. All she needs to do is grow. At eight weeks after conception, specialists can actually use ultrasounds to steady children in the womb and determine with a fair degree of accuracy whether the child is left-handed or right-handed. Yeah, that surprised me too when I learned that. If if they find that the child prefers sucking his left thumb in the womb there eight weeks after conception, check in with him again when he's 10 years old and chances are he's going to be left-handed. And the opposite is true if he preferred sucking his right thumb. Now, unborn children also respond to the tastes of the foods that their mothers consume. Researchers found that if they injected saccharin, which is an artificial sweetener, into the amniotic fluid, then the unborn child swallows more of the fluid. I guess the kid's like, drinking the sweetness, you know? So if, if you have a sweet tooth, you may have developed it a little bit earlier than you expected. So make no mistake, although a baby in the womb is within his or her mother, the baby is distinct from the mother. The baby has a separate heart, a separate brain, a unique DNA, sometimes a different blood type than the mother, and about half the time, the child is a different sex from the mother. So even science shows us that when we talk about abortion, we're talking about the killing of a separate, unique human being. In 1973, the US Supreme Court said in its Roe versus Wade decision that this killing of an innocent human being is a constitutional right. Last month, as Pastor Wayne mentioned, after 49 long years, the Supreme Court finally overturned that decision and told states that they are free to protect children. So yes, praise the Lord for that. Uh, and a number of states have already done so. So now in America, there are multiple states where abortion is not allowed, where children are being protected. So that is a wonderful miracle and we should praise the Lord for it. But states can also choose to allow abortion. And many states have chosen that path of destruction. And that's a terrible, terrible tragedy. And it ought to break our hearts. I know that it grieves the Lord. And consider what King David said of the Lord in Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So God lovingly crafts children in the womb. And as Psalm 127 verse 3 tells us, they are gifts from the Lord. So when we choose to end the lives of unborn babies, we 
not only commit the sin of murder, but we reject a gift from the Lord. We reject the blessing of a child made in his image. We reject all the good things that he created that child to accomplish. When we turn to abortion, we also demonstrate a lack of faith. We're saying that we don't trust the Lord with our own future or with the future of the child that he has created. Notably, abortion accomplishes the exact opposite of one of the greatest commands. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, we read that all the law and the prophets hang on two commands. I'm sure you all are familiar with this passage, right? The first is to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, and mind. And the second is to love our neighbors as ourselves. But what did Jesus tell us about love? In John 15, verse 13, he said that there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. But with abortion, we twist this. Instead of laying down our own life for the benefit of another, we lay down another's life for our own perceived benefit. How the Lord must grieve and the devil must rejoice over this. We know that the devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he has used abortion quite effectively to accomplish those aims. Since the Roe versus Wade decision in 1973, statistics suggest that we as a nation have taken the lives of over 63 million children in the womb, often in some of the most barbaric ways imaginable. I'm not going to go into those ways today, but just trust me when I tell you they're, they're stomach-turning. Now, I don't think we can ever fully wrap our minds around the degree of loss of over 63 million, but I want to try for a moment. Imagine that you're on vacation in whatever country you've always dreamed of visiting. You wake up one morning and you, you turn on the television or you look at your phone and you see that the United States has been hit with a nuclear attack. The city of Phoenix is destroyed. In fact, the whole state of Arizona is gone. So is Seattle and all of Washington. The same is true of Denver and the rest of Colorado. The hard hits keep coming in. Oregon has been blown off the map. So have Idaho and Utah. Montana is gone. Wyoming is no more. Nevada, New Mexico are only ash heaps. North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Minnesota, Iowa, Missouri, Arkansas, Delaware. All the people who once lived in those 19 states are now dead. If that happened, the death toll would be close to the number of people killed by abortion here in the United States since Roe versus Wade. And as you know, each life is much more than just a statistic. As we read, we are each fearfully and wonderfully made by our Creator, and we are made to accomplish God's unique purposes for our lives. In Isaiah 49, verses 1 and 5, we read that God called Isaiah from the womb, and that he formed Isaiah in the womb to be his servant. Friends, I believe that that is true of all of us. 
Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That workmanship, that creation of the people that we are today began before birth. Remember, the Lord knit you together in your mother's womb. And in doing so, he created you with unique gifts and callings. And yet, in our nation, we have destroyed over 63 million of the unique and wonderful people God created. We may never know what we have lost. There's much suffering in the world, and we know that it flows from sin. How much from the sin of abortion? Do we still lack a cure to cancer because the person God created to discover the cure never got to draw her first breath? Are there broken families because the family's peacemaker never had a chance at life outside the womb? We don't get to see the specifics now, but we know that there is a gaping hole. And although abortion is sufficiently tragic on its own for us to strongly oppose it, the harm of abortion is not confined to the deaths of millions of unborn children, to the absence of their contributions to humanity, or to the grief and brokenness that people often experience after turning to abortion. No, society's acceptance of abortion goes beyond that. It infects the way that people think in other arenas of life. The truth that we are all precious in the sight of God is obscured, and the value of life is forgotten. In fact, at the root of abortion is the same misguided thinking that resulted in the Holocaust, slavery, and racism. It is a rejection of the Bible's teaching that all human life is made in God's image and is precious to him. Those who truly believe that all people are made in God's image would not subject Jews to the Nazis' gas chambers. They would not subject black people to the chains of slavery. And they would not subject unborn children to death by abortion. They would love people of all colors, sizes, shapes, and abilities because they bear the image of God and they are loved by God. Well, we've established, I hope, that abortion is evil and that children in the womb are humans who are precious in the sight of God. But you may be wondering, what should I do with that knowledge? Well, there are many options. And God will probably call each of us to respond in different ways. So I encourage you to personally seek the Lord about how he wants you as an individual or as a family to respond to the tragedy of abortion. One thing I know that we all ought to do is pray. Pray that abortion will end. Pray that those considering abortion will choose life for their children. Pray that society's worldview will transform to see children in the womb as blessings from the Lord. Here in California, this state definitely needs prayer on all those fronts. Sadly, state officials responded to the Supreme Court with many pro-abortion proposals and policies. In fact, 
the California legislature just voted to put a measure on the ballot this November that would amend the California Constitution to make abortion a new constitutional right under the state constitution, and it contains no limits, so it's probably abortion through all nine months of pregnancy. And our president and many members of Congress need prayer for a change of heart because they are currently exploring ways to try to expand abortion with federal power. So we ought to pray that these efforts will fail because they will only lead to more death and suffering. Now, there are some who may think that it is not proper to talk at church about matters that involve the Supreme Court, matters that involve potential policy action. So I, I want to address that just briefly and say I think it's helpful to remember a few things. Uh, one is that we are to be salt and light in the world, as I mentioned at the beginning of the message. And our responsibility to share biblical truths, to share God's heart with the world, doesn't end whenever God's truth becomes a subject of political controversy. In fact, it might be a sign to us that this is an area where there is much confusion, making our loving witness to the truth all the more critical so that people can come out of darkness into the light. Also, we are called to intercede for righteousness in our land. Think about how Jesus taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus told us to pray that his will would be done here on earth. So we should know what's happening on earth and be praying for his will to be done. And in Jeremiah 29, verse 7, God told the Israelites in Babylon, Seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive, and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. Well, friends, with children being killed each and every day here with the blessing of our laws, there is violence, not peace. So please pray for peace. Please also pray that the Lord will forgive our nation and have mercy on us for allowing this tragic evil of abortion in our land. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, the Lord says, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. I think all of us can probably agree that our land needs healing. But notice that God called Israel to turn from its wicked ways before that promise of healing comes. And we must turn away from the wickedness of abortion. Now, this recent decision from the Supreme Court overturning Roe versus Wade is a tremendous step in the right direction. And as I said, we should thank the Lord for the wonderful result it's an answer to many prayers over many years. I'm sure that many of you have been praying for this, so I thank you for that. Now, as I mentioned, a number of states have already decided, thanks be to God, to turn away from that wickedness. Um, and so there are children who are already being saved as a result. And we ought to pray that all the other states, our state included, and the federal government will also turn away from this wickedness. It would be pretty hard to overstate 
just how important that is. In Isaiah 1, verse 15, the Lord told Israel, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. As a nation, our hands are full of blood. After the Bible's first recorded murder, when Cain killed his brother Abel, God said to Cain in Genesis 4, verse 10, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. With the blood of over 63 million babies on our nation's hands, think about how loud the cries must be that are now reaching God's ears. We must turn away from this evil and to do so, we must allow our knowledge of God's truths to impact the way we live and the decisions that we make. Now in Isaiah 1, immediately after God said that Israel's hands were full of blood and that he was not listening to their prayers, he didn't leave them without hope. He said in verses 7, uh, 16 and 17, Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. This passage in Isaiah is just one of many places in Scripture where we see the Lord's heart for the oppressed and the vulnerable. In Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9, we read, Open your mouth for the speechless in the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. Well, there are none more oppressed, vulnerable, and needy in the United States than the unborn. They cannot hire lobbyists. They cannot march for justice. They can't run from danger. They cannot even utter a single word in their own defense. They depend on others. They depend on us to speak for them. So please, let's be a voice for the voiceless and look for ways to show love to the most helpless among us. And when you look at human-caused tragedies in history, like the Holocaust, you may wonder, where was the church? Where were those of conscience? And oftentimes the answer is that they simply cowered in silence. There were some brave souls who spoke the truth, but not nearly enough. Many simply turned a blind eye to the evil that was happening around them. And one day, when abortion is a terrible memory of the past, like slavery in the United States or the Holocaust, younger generations, our, our kids, our grandkids, or even our great-grandkids, they may ask us, where were you when our nation's laws allowed abortion to take the lives of innocent children every single day? What did you do to stop that evil? What will we be able to tell them? And more importantly, when we stand before the Lord, what will, he be, what will we be able to tell him and what will he tell us? In America, we have a remarkable blessing and responsibility of governing ourselves. And while our system is certainly complex, it ultimately follows, it falls to the American people, to us, to decide whether unborn babies will enjoy the same protections that you and I enjoy, 
or whether they will continue to be killed at will. Now, this responsibility has become even clearer with the recent Supreme Court decision, which put the issue back in the hands of the people and their representatives. So, as we vote, we must consider how God views children in the womb and how he has called us to defend them. And we must use wisdom and discernment to identify what is truth and what is false in a world of misleading rhetoric. For instance, you should keep in mind that terms like reproductive freedom, reproductive justice, reproductive rights are all generally just code words for abortion on demand. We should also consider other ways that God may be calling us to stand for the unborn. Perhaps he's calling you to pray on a sidewalk outside an abortion clinic and talk to the men and women who are going there and tell them that there is a better way. Perhaps you should volunteer at SCV Pregnancy Center in Santa Clarita or at CareNet in Lancaster to help them share hope and free resources with people facing very difficult pregnancy circumstances. You can also look for ways to minister in your own spheres of influence. You can show love to those around you by sharing the truth about God's precious gift of life and how important it is for children in the womb to be protected. Sharing that information may save a child's life and it may spare a family of grief and anguish that often follows abortion. So please be bold and use your personal relationships and your social media platforms if you have them as opportunities to spread the truth about the humanity of children in the womb and the precious value of life. You know, there are a lot of conversations happening right now in part because of the Supreme Court decision. So there are many open doors for you to step in and lovingly share what, what the Bible says about the issue, what science says about the issue to help enlighten people and save lives. And in reminding people that humans are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God and that they're loved by God with a love that is so great that none of us can even fully comprehend it. You may not only save physical lives, but you may be able to save souls as well by the grace of God. And please, I also encourage you to be there for those in need. You know, when your family, friends, your classmates, your colleagues find themselves in a difficult pregnancy circumstances, there's a chance that you may be the only person who can reach them with grace and with truth in their time of need. So would you be there for them and show them hope? Would you help them see that they already have a child? They're not deciding whether to have a child. They have one now. And the only question before them is how they are going to treat that child. Help them see that that child is living, is precious, unique, and is a gift from the Lord. Tell them about the resources that are available to them, like those offered at these pregnancy centers that I mentioned. And make sure that they know that you will be there for them in the good times and in the hard times. Now, Pastor Wayne didn't know everything I was going to say today, so if you don't like anything that I said, I, I hope that you'll come talk to me after service and express your objections rather than bothering him. It's, it's not his fault. He didn't know. And I always welcome critiques. 
But I did want to be able to say a few things here on behalf of the church. Since I'm not a pastor here and I'm not a member here, I, I did consult with Pastor Wilson about a few things. So I'm going to share those now. One is that Act in Faith Bible Church stands ready to help both married couples and single individuals who are experiencing difficult pregnancy circumstances. This church wants to know when those circumstances arise so that it can support and walk alongside those who are struggling, struggling and to carry out the biblical command to carry one another's burdens. I love during the prayer request time that we had someone say, I've never been in a church that walked alongside me so much, and this was in the context of a move, but this church also wants to be there to walk alongside people in difficult pregnancy circumstances. Act in Faith also firmly believes the Bible's teachings that sexual relations should only occur within the confines of marriage between a man and a woman. Living according to that command is God-honoring. It is best for a flourishing society, and it's best for each one of us individually. And thankfully, God has given us the tools we need to flee temptation. But tragically, we as Christians do at times succumb to various temptations. And so if someone does fall into sexual sin, as I said, I consulted with Pastor Wayne about this. This church wants to help them find restoration and forgiveness. It does not want them to turn to another sin, the sin of abortion, to conceal a prior sin. That's only going to lead to more harm and suffering. Act in faith instead seeks to extend the same grace that God extends to us. Forgiveness and grace are always available to those who seek it. Now, speaking for myself again, I also encourage each of you to make sure that those who are close to you, including your children, know from your words and your actions that if they end up falling into sin and becoming a mother or a father, that they can turn to you and find grace and forgiveness. We never want someone to turn to abortion because they fear our response to their mistake more than they fear living the rest of their life with the knowledge that they took the life of their child. And so I'll just say here again, for those who are carrying the weight of guilt and shame from past participation in an abortion, please remember that Jesus desires to help you live a full and abundant life, just as he helped the many sinners who came to him for grace and restoration when he walked the earth. Uh, if if this is something that you're still working through, I want you to know that both CareNet in Lancaster and SCV Pregnancy Center, they have programs to help people working through post-abortion regret. So maybe that's something you can look into. And if you've come to a place where you're no longer in need of a program like that, that's wonderful. And I encourage you to consider whether the tragic experience of your past is something that the Lord wants to use to help others avoid walking down that same path as well. If you're a man or a woman who once felt desperate and turned to abortion, and you regret it now, you may be in a unique position to reach others in a very powerful way who find themselves in the same situation, scared and desperate and looking at abortion. And you can tell them about your own regrets and you can help them find hope and realize that there is a better way.
So consider whether that's a way that God wants to take what the devil intended to use for evil and use it for good. As another thought about a way you can promote life, I want to mention adoption. Those considering abortion sometimes instead decide to allow a loving family to adopt their child. But to do that, it's important that they know there are loving families there ready to step up to the plate. And there are. There are actually far more families who are eager to adopt a baby than there are babies available to adopt. But as you know, there are many children who are no longer infants who are stuck in the foster care system. And that is tragic on its own. Uh, and it's also tragic because it gives people the false impression that there are not enough families ready to adopt a baby. So a wonderful way that you can show love and care for the needy and promote life is by adopting. Maybe not just a baby, but maybe uh, some older children as well. So I've just shared a few, just a few, of the ways that you can stand for life. And again, I want to encourage you to seek the Lord about what he is calling you to do. And maybe it's not even something I shared today. But what he is calling you to do to defend and to love the least of these. So in closing, I want to leave you with this thought. Jesus said that the world will know we are his disciples if we love one another. But what love will they see if we kill our own children for our own convenience? What love will they see if we turn a blind eye as our laws permit the intentional killing of innocent and helpless children in the womb each and every day in our nation? So let's align our hearts with God's heart for unborn children. Let's demonstrate God's love to the world by caring for unborn babies and their parents and by reminding people that every person, born and unborn, is fearfully and wonderfully made for a purpose and is precious in the sight of God. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come before you with both heavy hearts and hearts that are rejoicing. Because, Lord, you delivered a great victory at the Supreme Court just nine days ago, overturning Roe versus Wade. And we thank you for that. We thank you that lives are being saved. Lord, we also know that we have a long way to go and that there are many who are still blind to the truth that you have created each of us and that you created us at the moment of conception and that each life is precious and valuable even then. So Lord, we ask that that this Supreme Court decision will be the beginning of something new and wonderful, a revival in our land where the scales come off of people's eyes and they see the truth about your love and goodness for us, both in creating us as physical beings and as spiritual beings, Lord. That people would turn to you for grace and forgiveness and that we would be a nation that pursues righteousness, a nation whose God is the Lord. And God, for each person here who is struggling with, with regret about a past abortion, I just ask that you would make clear to them how deep and how wide your love is for them, and that you would help each of us 
to go forward, to do what you have created us to do, that we would use the gift of life to its fullest, that we would walk in your paths, that we would not that we would not hide in fear, but that we would be courageous, but that we would also be loving, that we be as wise as serpents and gentle as doves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.